0: All right. So in Renew fashion, uh, let's go ahead and put the question up. And what I'd like you to do is share one time when God used you in a powerful way to impact someone's life. We call that a win. Share one win, spiritual win that you've had in your life. Okay. and speak to the person beside you. And uh, let's go now. Let's do it. All right. All right. If we could wrap it up. I know it's hard to wrap up something that God's been doing in your life and you want to share, but wrap it up anyway. I'm just joking. (laughs) All right. All right. If you could take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be studying the parable of the soils. Matthew chapter 13. If you have a device, go ahead and take a look at that device. If you have a Bible, that's awesome. Uh, Go look in your Bibles. We're also going to have it up on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 13. Let's look at the word of God. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Verse 4. And as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Verse 5, some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, uh, but when the sun came up, excuse me, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. I'm really excited to share this parable specifically with you uh, this morning. It's a parable that speaks a lot to my heart. And so we want to get right into it with certain points. If we want to look at, first of all, the context of the parable. If you're taking notes, write this down. The context of the parable. Here Jesus is in the north. He's in a region called Galilee, beside the Lake of Galilee. And here we see the vast multitudes gathering around him. And they crowd him so much so that he gets into a boat and casts off a little from the shore where he teaches them from the boat. Now you might say, that's a little weird. Why would he do that? Well, because of the crowds who number in the thousands. Picture this. They're pressing in and around him. Jesus needs to separate from them so that he can teach them, so that he could actually see them. And so he actually gets in a boat, and he teaches from there. But not only that, but also because, and I thought this was interesting in my studies, because the still water of the lake also acts like a natural amplifier, meaning that the sound of his voice hit the water and naturally amplifies the sound to the hearers. Remember, this was before microphones or speaker systems ever existed, and it was a strategic way to project so that the crowds could hear because Jesus wanted them to hear. Now, Jesus begins to teach them in parables. Now, you might say, well, what is a parable? Well, if you're taking notes, write this down, and let's look at the next chart. The parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, okay? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So it's a simple earthly story. It's easily recognizable to the hearers of that time. It was extremely relevant to the people of that culture. But within the story, and it's a simple story, contains deep, profound spiritual truth. A simple story that conveys profound truth about the kingdom of heaven. That's why we say that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, this story about the farmer and his seeds would have been very familiar. It would have been a familiar sight to everyone around, okay? This was a daily routine that they witnessed every day. If you lived in and around Galilee, they had fields as far as the eye could see. And so the crowds were very accustomed to farmers who would sow the seed, okay? In this story, the farmer sows his seed. Those days, uh, they carried these big bags, either on their shoulder or on pack animals, and as they actually went through the cultivated fields, they would just scatter the seed. They would throw it liberally in and around everywhere that they would go and they would walk. Now, this story then is about a farmer who is scattering his seed, and the seed falls into one soil, And then it falls into another soil, and then next it falls into another soil, and then it falls into still another soil. This is exciting, isn't it? No, it's not, right? This is something that they're used to seeing, and so they're probably wondering, Jesus, why are you telling us something that we already know? It's a very mundane occurrence. So that begs the question, why? Why would he tell this story? Well, the next point we're going to look at is, number two, the purpose of the parable. Let's look in verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? So the disciples are asking, Why are you giving this story about farmer and seeds? Why aren't you speaking plainly to them like you did at the Sermon on the Mount? Like you did, way be- like you did before this time? I want you to notice, from this time until the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus speaks to the crowds almost exclusively in parables. And so the disciples are puzzled. Why parables? Parables are great with explanation, right? What the story is about. But a parable without an explanation is almost like a riddle. I don't understand. And we have to guess the meaning. I want you to notice what Jesus says. This is very, very important. Verse 11. And Jesus replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. That's shocking, right? That verse, don't you kind of feel like it's a little unfair? Jesus, are you being a little inequitable, right? As you hear this, especially in our age, where we're trying to be inclusive of everything, Jesus sounds a little bit exclusive. Jesus' parables are designed for those who want to pursue Jesus as Messiah. They will be the ones blessed with the realities of the kingdom truth. But for those who don't want to pursue Jesus as the Messiah, the truth just passes them by. Verse 12, look at it. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken away from them. Now, if verse 11 was shocking, verse 12 is confusing. I don't, what? What? Jesus is actually saying this? I don't understand what he's trying to say. Let's go back and look at it. Whoever has, what is the has? It's that desire to pursue Jesus as his disciple. Whoever has will be given more. Well, what is the more? More desire, more truth, more power, more insight, more blessings. All the byproducts of pursuing Jesus. And it says, and they will have it in abundance. Like Jesus will take a dump truck and just dump all of this stuff. On those people. But whoever does not have, what is the not have? It's that same desire to pursue Jesus as disciple. Whoever does not have, even what they have, that little interest that flickers around, that little interest that is fleeting, will be taken away from them. And by the way, that's what this particular parable that we're studying is teaching. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. Verse 13 this is why I speak in parables. You see, Jesus speaks in parables so that those who really desire to follow him as Messiah will get it. They'll get it in abundance. And those who have different agendas will not get it at all. Remember the context. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of thousands gathered, all with different motivations and agendas. Some are out to discredit him. They think he's a trickster and a charlatan, and they just want to see enough to know what his tricks, how he does things. We call them the skeptics. Many are awed by his miracles. They've never seen supernatural healings like this. They're excited, and so they want to see more. We call them the thrill seekers. Some are out to trap him because they're threatened by him. They want to destroy him. Those are the religious leaders. Others want to use him for their own political agenda. Those are the zealots. Some just want free food, okay? We're going to look at that later. Uh, I guess, you know, it's it's later on, so it's not happening now. But they want free stuff from Jesus. We call them the freeloaders. Many are looking, that's pretty funny, yeah. Many are looking for the next new spiritual fad. Jesus is the new flavor of the month. And so they're there because they want something new. I call them the fickle. You see, in this crowd, Jesus is not concerned with skeptics or thrill-seekers or religiously self-righteous or zealots or freeloaders or the fickle crowd. Jesus is only concerned with those who want to follow him as his disciples because his aim, like it's always been from the minute he came to this earth, his aim has always been to make disciples. Amen? Those who would embrace him as Lord and Savior those who are committed to his kingdom agenda. And so the parables can be seen as a vetting process. Jesus uses parables as a filter. It's designed to drive those who are hungry and thirsty for his truth to pursue him and to know him more, while at the very same time it leaves those who are uninterested in his truth or his agenda where they are. Let me give you an example. It's not a great example, but it's an example. I have a 13-year-old daughter named Alexis. The reason I laugh is I've probably given you four or five stories about Alexis, okay? Well, she's 13 years old. She's my daughter. And as a kid, I was the man in her life, okay? The only man in her life, okay? And I remember as a little kid, she would say to me, and this was on more than one occasion, Daddy, I want to live with you for the rest of my life. It felt so good to hear that, right? And I should have got it in writing, Right. I should have should have wrote a contract in blood with her because now that she's a teenager, everything has changed. No longer am I the man. I've been replaced by BTS. OK, for those of you that don't know, BTS is the biggest boy band on the planet. Okay, and Alexis has BTS posters on her wall. She has a BTS light stick that she's prominently displayed in her room. I have been replaced by seven androgynous, (laughs) pale-skinned, multi-hair-colored, makeup-wearing South Korean boys, and I'm not happy about it, right? She loves them. She listens to their music literally all day long. That's all she plays on her iPhone everywhere we go. Now, I wanted to connect with Alexis because I still want to be that cool dad, and so I actually looked up one of the songs called Euphoria, and I tried to sing it to her. You know what she did? She said, Dad... She looked at me. She rolled her eyes. I couldn't believe she did this. She rolled her eyes. She said, Dad, she goes, stop it. Don't sing, you know? And that broke my heart because we used to sing Disney songs, duets together when she was little. And now she's like, Dad, you're embarrassing me. Don't sing. Oh, my gosh. Jungkook doesn't sing it that way. You don't even know what you're singing, right? And I, st- I stopped singing. Alexis belongs to the BTS club, and it's amazing. This club is not just Koreans, not just Asians, it's everybody. It's amazing how many people are in this club. You know what they're called? They're called the Army, okay? They're the, I know, some of you are like, yeah, I'm in the part of the Army. They're called the Army, and the Army discusses BTS rap lyrics. Now, I'm blown away because these lyrics are in Korean, and yet you have Hispanic people and you have Caucasian people, right, who try to memorize and try to talk about these rap lyrics. They understand the meanings of the songs. I'm blown away, right? Where was that when I was, I would have been so much cooler, right? But yeah, that's what happens. So also, they're into the philosophy behind the albums, right? It's so interesting. So they even know when the pop-up stores are going to open. And they just come in the thousands and I, I know Alexis, you know people that she doesn't even know she she relates with. And I remember special merchandise comes out. I had to take uh, my daughter to uh, Honey and Butter in uh, the uh, the Irvine Spectrum because they were making BTS macaroons. These are things you eat, and she's like, "I have to be the first to get there with my friends." So I took them. They were the first ones to get there to buy million dollar macaroons, right? So that they can eat. It's amazing. The kind of things we parents have to do, right? But here's my point. With BTS, Alexis and I don't have the same experience. We don't have the same experience. You know why? Because I don't get BTS. I really don't. Verse 13. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. You see, I see BTS on television. I see them, but I don't see them, because I don't care. I don't get it, you know? I don't get that. I hear BTS on YouTube, but I really don't hear them. They sound good, they're good singers, but I don't care. I don't get it. And so I don't experience BTS the same as Alexis does, because my daughter sees BTS. She hears BTS. She understands BTS. I understand Korean and I don't understand BTS, okay? (laughs) The more she pursues BTS, here's my point the more she gets out of it in abundance. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples in verse 16. But blessed are your ears because they see, and blessed are your eyes because they see, and blessed are your ears because they hear. Do you get it? Do you understand? So you might say, well, I understand the purpose of this parable, but why? Why do some believe and some reject? Why do some pursue Jesus and others dismiss Jesus? Why will some produce fruit and some are unfruitful? Why do some commit as disciples and others fall away? Why do some become the disciples that Jesus desires and calls them to be and others do not? And so here's where we're going to look at the third point, and we're going to spend our time on the third point. That is the meaning of the parable. Can you put that up? The meaning of the parable. Here Jesus conceals it from the crowds and he reveals it to his disciples. Let's look in verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, I want to stop right there, okay? Do you remember a few weeks ago, okay? I asked you a question, I put money on it. I said, What did Jesus say was the reason he was born? And why he came into the world. Do you remember that question? And I actually put money, $3. And I said, anybody who can guess this, I'll give them $3. And many of you attempted to answer the question. And you had the wrong answers. Okay, You guys are terrible Bible students. No, actually, I'm just joking. You had great answers, right? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came uh, to heal a broken world. Jesus came... I mean, you guys gave the greatest answers. But the reason why this was so hard was Jesus only answers this one time in the Bible why was the specific reason he was born and why he came into the world. And in John chapter 18 and verse 37, Jesus says this, listen to this. And Jesus answered, I was born and came into the world for one purpose, to speak about the truth. All of the other stuff is subsumed under this, okay? All of the other stuff is correct, But Jesus makes this heading prominent. He came to proclaim the truth. From the time that he began his earthly ministry, Jesus' main thing was proclaiming the message of the truth. So knowing this, we see this parable, Jesus is the farmer that's sowing the seed. What's the seed? Well, it's truth from the word of God. Matthew 13, 19 says the seed is the message about the kingdom. Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8, the same parable says the seed is the word of God. Here Jesus in this parable to the crowd is the sower of the seed. For this reason he was born. For this he came into the world to scatter the seed everywhere he went. He scattered it in the temple, in the synagogues, in the marketplaces. He scattered it on the mountaintops, in the plains. He scattered it in houses at wedding uh, ceremonies, at parties. He scatters it even on this boat as he's talking to the crowd. Now, this is really important. The farmer and the seed are perfect, meaning that if the crop fails, it's never because of Jesus. Jesus is God the Son, and it's never because of his word. The Bible says the word has the power for salvation, right? So we know that the eternal word and Jesus are, are perfect and without flaw. They're what I like to call the constant. And with the constant, there's always a variable, isn't it? What's the variable? Well, the only variable in the story is the soil. The soil is what kind of... um, The variable, excuse me, is what kind of soil the seed goes into. And depending on what what soil the seed enters determines who believes or who pursues or who commits or who produces. Now, it's all dependent on the soils. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's study what the soils are. It's very important. Number one, we see the pathway soil, okay? And the pathway soil represents the hard heart. Let's look in verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed that fell along the path. Okay, so as Jesus is telling the story, everybody understands That the hard beaten path, the path that is trodden by men and animals, right? It's the heavily trafficked path, which has become so hard because of all the travel. uh, The seed can't penetrate the soil. It can't grow because of that. Now, I want you to understand, or I want you to notice the word understand in verse 19. It doesn't mean intellectual assent. It actually means to appropriate. It has the idea of receiving and applying God's word. Here's the point. This kind of heart will never receive God's word. The truth is never appropriated in the life. And because of that, Satan snatches that truth that is not embraced and applied. There's a spiritual warfare going on every time the word is given. And I want you to notice that the greatest example of these are the Pharisees. They are always in the crowd. Do you notice that? Wherever Jesus goes, they're there, right? But isn't it ironic that the group who should have had the softest hearts because of their Bible knowledge actually had the hardest hearts? The ones who memorized the whole Hebrew Bible, that's no easy feat. The ones who everybody went to as the Bible teachers, everyone went to with biblical questions, they're the ones who actually should have had the softest hearts but they had the hard ones. Isn't it ironic that the ones who memorized all that there was to know about the prophesied Messiah didn't recognize him when he actually came to them? These were the guys that memorized all of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, and when Messiah came, they rejected him. Why? And here's the point. Write this down if you're taking notes. They had knowledge devoid of a relationship with God. You see, Jesus tells them, God sent me. So if you don't love me, it's because you don't know God. What a tremendous indictment upon the Pharisees. You know what that tells us? That you can understand or you can intellectually know the truth without ever appropriating the truth to your life. Amen? We know that knowledge puffs up. In every area of life, knowledge puffs up. I've been shamed at a coffee shop Because I put cream in my pour-over, okay? I've had people tell me, oh, you don't put cream in a pour-over. What's wrong with you? You're an idiot. They didn't say I was an idiot, but they looked at me like I was. Why? Because their knowledge and their passion for that knowledge puffs up, right? You've had CrossFit people tell you, you work out in your garage? You don't go to a box? Those of you that are CrossFit, you know what I'm talking about, right? Not all of you are like that, of course, but That's knowledge that puffs up, right? Boy, you eat carbs? Oh my gosh, you've never heard of paleo? You've never heard of keto, right? It's those knowledge that puffs up. And pride is always connected to hardness of heart. Hubris and hardness go hand in hand. And that pride can blind you from the truth. How does a heart become hard? It's constant, continual rejection of God's truth. I am not tech savvy. If you know me, you know this. I, I know some of you are chuckling, right? I'm the exact opposite. I'm tech illiterate. And to a tech illiterate person, even simple things are amazing, right? They're amazing. And to me, on my computer, one of the, one of the most amazing things is that trash icon, okay? And even on my phone, the trash icon is amazing to me. I love it. Just the, the sound that it makes. I love making that sound. So when I get emails from the Nigerian prince who wants to give me $25 million, I do what I always do, right? right? When I get ads and all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, just inappropriate stuff, inappropriate stuff, trying to sell me stuff, I always get rid of it, right? When Pastor Wilson tries to get me to do something at church and sends me an email, I get rid of it. He's not here so we can talk. Don't tell him, Okay. But I get rid of it, right? I'm just joking. Well, maybe I'm not joking. That's what happens with the trash icon. Let me tell you this, okay? This is what the hard-hearted person does with the Word of God. When God's Word convicts, when God's Word comes to say, you need to do this, you need to clean up this part of your life, I want you to go and do, you know? It's actually hardening the heart because it's trashing the Word of God. The second one is the rocky soil, and it represents the shallow heart. Let's look in verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Now, that's good news, isn't it? This heart receives the truth with joy. There's an emotional response to the word of God. These are the, the per- this, In the crowd, this is the person who excitedly affirms Jesus as Messiah because they've seen the miracles. They understand, while this is supernatural, these healings are not from man, they're from God. And they see the transformation all around them, and it excites them emotionally. And so this is the person who enthusiastically wants to follow him. Verse 21, but since they have no root, they last only for a short time. You see, in the rocky soil, seeds go in and grow fast, initially. But because the root cannot break through the barrier of rocks, They're unable to go deep down and receive the water and nutrients that are needed to grow. And this is the kind of heart that remains shallow because there's no deep root of commitment. To this heart, Jesus is the genie. Rub his lamp, right? Get your wishes granted. Get your fantasies fulfilled. They're excited to follow Jesus as long as it fulfills their desires. They're excited about God's word as long as it meets their expectations and fulfills their felt needs. Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, says it this way about, or writes it this way about these people. When they became Christians, they imagined they were entering Christ's kingdom. But in reality, what was really happening was they were recruiting him into their own kingdom. See, that's a vast difference between entering Jesus' kingdom and trying to recruit Jesus to enter your kingdom. But that's the shallow heart. It's selfish. It's self-centered. It's all about self-interest. And here is the indicator to detect and identify a shallow heart. Verse 21, let's look at it. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. What happens when trials or persecution comes? That is the one-two punch that knocks out the rocky soil. Get it? Knocks out, Rocky, one-two punch, yeah? Okay, some of you understand what I'm talking about, right? I thought I'd get rich when I became a Christian. My prosperity teachers preach that, and I'm not rich. I thought I'd be healed when I became a Christian, but my cancer has become more aggressive. I thought I'd be honored in my community, but as a Christian, I'm ridiculed and persecuted. Christianity is not meeting my needs, so I'm going to cash out. Peace out, Jesus. Trials and persecution reveal what's in the heart. And only those committed to Jesus as Lord will withstand that kind of heavyweight barrage. The third point is the thorny soil. And it represents, can we put that up? The divided heart. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, the word for thorn, acanthus, was actually the name of a thorny weed that was common in Israel and frequently found in cultivated soil. And by the way, it was a major reason for killing crops. What does the Bible say is the acanthus that kills fruitfulness? Well, number one, the worries of this life, okay? Now, when we look at worries, I don't think that's the the best translation. It's not about worries of life, like your laundry or getting things done. It's not talking about that, you know although that i could understand you know that being kind of that uh, uh, something that kills fruitfulness but it's actually literally life's distractions whatever is popular in life at the time it's talking about amusements and, and- Okay, are we on? Okay, great, great. All right. So it's talking about amusements and entertainments, okay? That can be an acanthus. Not only that, but number two, the deceitfulness of wealth. I love this phrase. How is wealth deceitful? Because all of our hopes and dreams, all of our expectations, all of that security that we want, all those desires can be tied into having wealth. And we can be deceived into thinking that if we have wealth, we have all those things. And that is a lie. That is a lie. Wealth can be a false god giving false promises. Now, I want to say this. Amusements and wealth, they're not necessarily evil, not necessarily sinful. They can be used for a purpose, right? But it becomes, it becomes an acanthus when these things become a false god in our lives. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth, okay? And the divided heart attempts to serve two masters, Jesus and the world. This heart wants Christ and their addictions. This heart worships Jesus and materialism. This heart desires the Lord, but won't let go of the world. And you know, the end result is fruitlessness. I remember uh, many years ago, I was speaking at a conference, a large conference at, uh, at, with the people at Michigan State University. And I remember after the conference, I remember uh, a young man approached me. And the reason that I remember him was he was the best-looking Asian man I'd ever seen in my life, okay. He would put all of you Asian men to shame, including myself, right. The women would be all like, wow, that is a beautiful man. And I remember he was walking toward me and I'm not tempted in any way, you know, that way. But as he was walking, he actually took my breath away, okay. I was like, wow, you're a beautiful man. So he came up to me. And I remember he was like, Pastor Dave, I want to share something. And, you know, he, he, he was talking with me and everything. And he said, but uh, can I talk with you in private, okay? And so I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, we'll call him Son. His name isn't Son, but we'll call him Son, okay? And so we were uh, off in the corner talking while everybody was kind of mingling and mixing. And I remember he started sharing with me his testimony, okay? He was, of course, he was good looking. You know, he had good clothes on. Very, very affable person. And he shared with me that two years ago he came to know Jesus, right? And it was a tremendously, uh, like, Augustinian conversion. I mean, this guy, when he came to know Jesus, it changed his life. And he, all he could do, and he shared with me, all he could do was, he just loved Jesus. And he wanted to pray and read his Bible, share the gospel. I mean, he just shared with me all the beautiful things of those two years. Now, he was involved in a fraternity, and he said all he did was share the gospel with his friends. But he said now, and this is his third year, he said, I've gone back to my old ways. You know, I never left a fraternity, and my fraternity brothers, you know, got me back into this. And I wasn't expecting this because this beautiful man, okay, this perf- person who had a perfect exterior, he just started crying, okay? Okay? This beautiful man started to cry really ugly. And you know what ugly crying looks like, right? When snot comes out the nose and, you know, and, uh, you know, and they make those weird noises, you know, and they can't, uh, you know. And, and I remember he was doing that to me. I felt so uncomfortable when he was doing that. But he's, I remember what he said as he was crying ugly. He said, you know, Pastor Dave, he goes, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. Because he shared with me all the things that he got back to doing. All the things, all the pleasures of the world. He said he got back in and he goes, I am miserable. He goes, I wish sometimes that I never even knew about Christianity, never even knew about Jesus, so that I can be happy with the stuff that I was doing. He said, But I can't. Ah you know, he's crying and stuff. And I remember, it was the Holy Spirit, I I, I know this. I got really happy. And I remember smiling at him and I said, Praise the Lord. And I remember it shocked him for a second. I I bet it annoyed him because here he's pouring out his heart. And he said, what? He said, you're happy? And I said this. I said, yes. I said, because you're a Christian and the Lord won't allow you to continue in this and be happy. And we went to the Bible and we looked at this particular soil. You're a thorny soil right now. And in this, you'll never be fruitful until you learn that you got to let go of the world. And my friend, that's the problem with a divided heart. A divided heart has not yet let go of a God that they shouldn't be following. They should be following Jesus. Amen? The last one, the good soil. The good soil represents the fruitful heart. Verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 100 or 60 or 30 times what was sown. Now, this is the kind of heart, or this kind of heart is good soil because of all the ways that it's not like the other soils. It is not callous or dismissive of truth. Rather, it humbly embraces God's word and seeks to appropriate all of God's word. Not some of God's word, but all of God's word to its life. It's not shallow or self-centered. Rather, it commits deeply to obeying God's word despite trials or persecution. It doesn't vacillate between two masters. Rather, it faithfully and single-mindedly pursues Jesus as Lord and Savior of life. And the result of a person like that is exponential fruitfulness. I want you to look. This is the punchline to the parable. The parable is very bland. Everybody would have known about this except for this particular sentence, 30 times, 60 times, 100 times the yield. That would have caught their attention because in the first century, an excellent harvest where a farmer did everything right would have yielded seven times the yield. Okay? That was an excellent crop. And so here is the, 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 the people are listening to 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. They must be thinking, these are fantasy numbers. We're playing fantasy farming, right? But Jesus says this is a reality. This is what happens, listen to me, when Jesus, who is perfect, sows his seed, which is perfect, into the right soil, the disciple with the right heart. The Bible says that when that happens supernatural results occur. Can I get an amen? You see, Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, left those disciples whom for three years he trained and he prepared and he shared the mysteries of the knowledge of God and the kingdom. When he left, those guys, empowered by the Holy Spirit, turned the world upside down. Those 12 disciples truly had a 100 times the yield. And when we look throughout the history of the church, we see supernatural exponential fruit produced from disciples throughout the ages 30 times, 60 times. And we see, wow, it's not man, but it's God. And that is why Jesus says, I speak in parables, because the right soil will hear it, understand it, and produce supernatural exponential fruit. And as Jesus is sowing his seed this morning, make no mistake, Jesus is sowing his seed this morning. I have one question for you. Which soil are you? Bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. In the quietness of your own heart, I want to ask. Praise team, if you want to come up, you can do that. Which soil are you? Are you the pathway soil? Are you the hard heart that continually rejects God's truth, although God sends it to you again and again and again? Are you the rocky soil where it's all about you and it's all about how God fits into your needs and your expectations? And here God is saying, self has no profit for you. Are you the thorny soil that is still caught up in vacillating between two masters? Life's distractions and the promotion and pursuit of wealth are your number one priorities. And God's saying, they are false idols that need to be thrown down. Which soil are you? Father God, we want to be the right soil. We want to be the fruitful ones that will take your word and will apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said,